Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Yes, yes, and today we have a good one for you. A mostly competitive game, that's the way most people think of it, but we're going to review the co-op today for Root by Leader Games. Yeah, this is one of my favorite uh, new games from last year when I was playing with the unofficial AI rules, but they've become official and we've tried them out both solo and co-op. And then afterward, for our design discussion, we're going to talk about scoring systems in games. And we're going to try to keep the discussion focused on co-op games. Although, you know, if we have to borrow from the competitive world, we will do that as well. But before we get into that, we'd like to thank some of our amazing supporters over at Patreon. This week, we're thanking Old School Gamer, a co-op fan, Derek Rickert, a co-op lover, and Copeland Woodruff, also a co-op lover. Thank you to you three and to all of our supporters, and just thanks to everyone who participates on our YouTube channel, on the Slack, and just joins the conversation and the great kind of gaming experience we're all having together. Now, I know we've had quite a few new Patreons lately. Have we gotten to those names yet, or are we still reading through some of the older ones? Yeah, we're reading through some of the older names. Uh, we've gotten a good number this month and last month, so it'll, it'll be a little bit, but our new patrons, trust me, we're getting to you soon. <laughs> You know, when I was a little kid, I always loved, I don't know if you watched this, Romper Room? No, I've never even heard of that. Oh, so it's a local show, I think. And at the end of the show, she would like look through this looking glass and she'd say, I see you, Adam, and I see you, Amy, and whoever else. And she'd say all these names of these kids. And man, I would just sit there with bated breath at the end of every episode for her to say Peter. And years and years of my life went by, and she never once said my name. So (laughs) this kind of reminds me of that a little bit, except these people will get their names read. So just hold on. You're you're coming up. That that sounds very disturbing. The idea that this woman is, like, convincing me that she sees me through her TV. That's uh, a little stalkerish, isn't it? A little bit. Now, I'm not sure if they took just, like, generic names out of the phone book or whatever, or if people's, like, parents wrote in and they were like, hey, can you mention my kid's name? Because they would get out there with some of the names, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe your parents were too cheap to uh, pay the required fee to get recognition. That that might have been it. That might have been in. <laughs> it, it still clearly doesn't sit with me to this day. Not at all. Well, yeah, I mean, you... you... You're still waiting. Like, I wonder if uh, you can just track this lady down and be like, Say Peter! Say my name! At this point in life, we could probably YouTube Romper Room Peter, and it would probably come up. <laughs> and my all my dreams would come true. So, uh, speaking of dreams come true, let's see if Root is a dream come true. You like that segue? Well, you already told him it's one of your favorite games, so, I mean, you, you've spoiled the end here. Well, well I, I said it was one of my favorite games last year. People know that I'm very fickle if they watch my Shelf Life episodes, so maybe it's not a favorite game this year. No, that's true. That's true. And, well, yeah, the co-op versus competitive is different as well, so we'll get into all that in our review in just a minute. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the theme of the game. So, this here is a struggle for power in the forest, and you have four competing factions. You have the Marquita Cat, who is kind of like the 
overarching nemesis. If you think of like Star Wars, they're the Empire. They've got kind of control of the forest currently. And then you have the Alliance, or the Rebel Alliance, if we want to go with the Star Wars analogy, who's coming to try to take back the forest. And you also have the Airy who have come in, and these are birds who have come in, and they've got a new leader, so they're trying to take back the forest. And then you got the Vagabond that just runs around dealing arms to everybody. So you have these four different factions, and they're all these cutesy animals. So the Marquita cats are obviously cats. The Alliance is made up of mice. The Airy are birds. And the Vagabond is what, a raccoon, I think? The, the main one that's like usually pictured as a raccoon, yeah, although they have other animals. Well, look at that. You have your choice if you're a vagabond. You, you're vagabonding all over the place. If, if you get some of the expansions like I did, you even have like other meeples for them that can match all the random <laughs> creatures you might control. Nice. Well, raccoon makes the most sense to me because they're like the arms dealer. They're a little bit shady. Like, you know, they're going around doing backroom deals. They're like backstabbing people. So, no. I well, think- I'm just waiting for you to say the Star Wars analogy here. Like, who, who's the Star Wars vagabond? I mean, for me, I guess it's Boba Fett, right? He's whoever's paying him. Oh, no. Han Solo, man. It's got to be Han Solo. Oh, no. He's Alliance all the way. Get out of here with that. I guess he was an arms dealer. Yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't in any of the movies. Come on now. You know I don't have imagination beyond what I've seen. Hey, hey, hey. That that was in Solo. He he made the Kessel Run, which was a weird alien creature in a nebula or something. (laughs) (laughs) That that is true. That is true. But even then, he was like a good guy. Like I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I know. We're, they, we're, they don't really know how to. Okay, yeah, we're, we're getting off on a tangent, way off track. And I mean, Boba Fett was always a bad guy in all the movies too. So, but I, I'm at least going with his Mandalorian roots. And for those of you with Disney Plus, the Mandalorian is definitely while on the side of good. They've they've definitely looked like they've been on both sides of it. Maybe we should go with Lando. He was kind of the most uh, shady and betraying, yes. at least for a little while. That's it. Lando it oh, is. There we go. Lando Calrissian, you I are agree. the official vagabond of Root. <laughs> of Star Wars. So in terms of the mechanics of the game, and I can't go into like a ton of detail because it does change based on which faction you are, because this is a leader game. And if you don't know their work in Vast, for example, they're all about asymmetry. But uh, basically, you go through player turns one at a time. Each faction has some special ways for themselves to earn victory points. And then they all have consistency in earning victory points by, like, destroying certain enemy uh, structures and things. And whichever faction reaches 30 points first wins. Now, within that, most factions will have some things they can do with a hand of cards. So you have these cards. That's a shared deck by everybody. But the factions uh, make those cards, like items and special abilities, in different ways. And then additionally, everyone has generally some way to use actions, which will usually be recruiting their units onto the board because you kind of have like this uh, set of clearings with paths between them. And it's a bunch of area control trying to rule the clearings. So you'll have ways to like get your units on the board, march them around the board and initiate combat. Combat is uh, just two die rolls. And uh, the attacker has the advantage in that uh, the higher die goes to them and the lower die goes to the defender. And that's, you know, with a few uh, extra rules, that's how much damage you do and how many things you destroy. Now, in the solo and co-op, which we'll be talking about, this is based on what were originally called the Better Bot Rules, which was a fan-made variant. But now they become official. Leader Games added them as an add-on in the latest Kickstarter, and I got them. And you can play a solo with any number of AI factions. You can have them kind of all fighting each other while you're doing your own thing. Or you can play co-op where uh, we've played with 
two of us and one or two AI factions. Uh, you could theoretically go higher than that, but as we'll talk about, the balance of how that all works uh, is not always easy to do. But yeah, basically, all of you have to reach 30 victory points before any of the AI factions reaches 30. So it's a similar uh, victory point goal to the main game, but you have to do it cooperatively and all get there before the enemies do. All right. Well, thanks for uh, going through the rules. And now we're going to go through our top five list. If this is your first time joining us, thank you. And what we do here is we cover the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important thing, and going all the way to number one, which is the most important thing. So I'll start us out this week, and my number five is definitely the least important on my list. This is something I almost never talk about, but the theme in this game and the little cutesy animals and just war between animals. I know this has been done a lot lately, but I don't know. It's something special here for some reason. Each faction feels very unique to me, and it's brought out in the artwork too. Like, you know, the raccoon to me, as we were talking about earlier, does feel like he'd be a raccoon just sneaking around the forest, you know, doing dastardly stuff. The birds, to me, kind of have to flow in a certain way, and... That, to me, feels like how birds would have to act. The cats being the villains of it don't don't bother me at all. I like that. And, uh, you know, the cute little mice, like, rebelling up against these giant cats who are their oppressors. I, I don't know. It just all kind of comes together for me. And it's all done with meeples. These aren't miniatures on the board. But the theme really just comes to life for me in this one. And so that is my number five. I really like how the theme comes together, and I love the how the cutesy animals, you know, bring it all together. Yeah, I love the artwork for this game, too. I think it's, like, Kyle Ferrer who does the art. All right, future Peter here. That's actually Kyle Farron who does the art, and great job with that. But my number five is also one that I don't often talk about, and that's not necessarily directly related to the actual game mechanics and design. And that's the uh, graphic design and how they've kind of given everything a place, and especially how the player faction sheets, or player aids if you want to call them, are made. So this is a game that is very asymmetric, and I think that the way they have laid out these faction sheets, and that they very clearly walk you through your turn, do this, then do that, draw this many cards, do this kind of a thing. And even the way that your tokens, like as your bases or uh, buildings are put on the board, it reveals the victory points you earn or reveals the extra cards you gain. It's a really clean design. And for a game like this, it can be very tough to learn. And I think that the uh, the graphic design and how everything is structured really uh, contributes to the game being a much more smooth experience to learn than uh, even something like Vast, which also had pretty good graphic design. But I think that this one is a lot cleaner, more consistent, and I really appreciate it. Even when I haven't played the game in a while, I just look at those boards and I'm pretty much good to go without reading any rule books. Yeah, it's funny how we both went with something outside of our normal design purview as our number fives for this one, even though there's like a million things to cover in this game. And I guess I kind of covered a little bit of design talking about how different the factions play, and you covered a little bit in your graphic design talking about how easy it is to play the factions. So even though we we went away from our normal design top five, we did end up uh, bringing it back to that end anyway. Yeah, and I'll say this was a tough one to make my list for. I mean, you'll hear this as we get into the list, but I I wanted to bring out several things specifically about the solo and co-op play, and in so doing, I knocked some things off my list that are kind of pretty interesting, like, mechanical things about the game. So, yeah, I don't know. This is one that I kind of wish we had, like, ten points instead of five. 
Well, we'll probably overlap a lot then, because to be honest, I never ran the AI when we were playing co-op, so I don't have a whole lot to say about the AI itself and how it runs. I think we'll have very different lists because of that. Yeah, between the two of us, we should be good. So what's uh, your four, Peter? My number four is the combat system. We talked about it earlier. You're just rolling two dice. They're numbered zero to three. Or is it one to three? I think it's uh, 12-sided from zero to three. Like four of each. Gotcha. All right, and so you're rolling two of these dice, and whoever the attacker is gets the higher number. So if I rolled a three and you rolled a two, and all you do is that's the casualties for the other side. So if I roll a three, you roll a two, I remove three of your guys, you remove two of mine. Now, there are some limitations to that. If I only have one guy there, I can only remove up to one guy, even as the attacker. So if I rolled a three and I only had one guy, I'd remove one of yours. You rolled a two, you'd remove my one. So there are some limitations to how that works. Now, there are some factions that break it. The alliance breaks that. They always get the higher number, regardless if they're the attacker or the defender. So I don't know. It's just smooth, simple, fast, easy, yet very satisfying to me how the combat system in the game works. And it takes one of your actions to do it, but some factions can do it multiple times. Some factions can do it in multiple places. They each attack different ways, but the attacking itself in games like this can sometimes bog down the game. This doesn't, but yet is still very satisfying to me and not overly swingy in any way. And when it does swing and you get that three to zero, it's so satisfying because you're the one taking the action. You're the one doing the thing. And a lot of times it ends up being like two, two or three, two or something like that. And so when you get that big swing, it's very satisfying. So I love the way combat's done in this game. It's one of my favorite parts of the game. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It did. uh, This is one of the ones that got pushed off for me, but yeah, so quick Uh, Very satisfying. And just the fact that if you bring enough people in, you will never lose more than them is just, you know, it's good. Like, it's not like a lot of combat systems where the attacker can actually lose more than the defender. Because here, uh, your actions are so precious. You got to get something when you attack. (laughs) You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. So my number four is a con. And this is a focus squarely on the AI and the solo and co-op play, and especially the co-op play. So co-op is in a way, officially supported by the rules, but in a way, not very much at all. (laughs) And what I mean by this is I don't get the sense that they, like, tested it a lot or they really experimented with it much. The entire, like, set of co-op rules is, like, two or three paragraphs. And they're like, yeah, you can play co-op. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe you can destroy each other's buildings, but, you know, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. And, like, maybe you can do this, but then, you know, if you don't want to, you can also do that. And it's... (laughs) it's a little bit irksome that, you know, especially for a product I purchased, it's not, you know, a PNP like unofficial fan variant anymore, that they didn't seem to like care much about clarifying co-op or how it should work. And within that, they gave literally no suggestions for which faction should go against which in co-op, which is something they do do for uh, solo play and like uh, competitive play to an extent. But yeah, so no suggestions. They don't really give you a sense for, like, what power levels relatively are. So, like, whether uh, if there's two of you and one enemy, how many of these uh, cards you should give them, because the solo play uh, allows you to boost the AI with different cards and things. Now, Peter and I figured it out, but, you know, we played several games where we were like, oh, this is too easy. Oh, this is too hard. And it's just, and, like, even when you change the factions, all of those feelings can go away. So, yeah, it was a little disappointing that... 
the uh, the co-op play did not have a better indication and, and solo play to an extent too, but mainly co-op. It, it just felt a little tacked on. And again, for something I bought, that's not a great feeling. So that's definitely a con for me. Yeah, we'll get into that in final thoughts for me, but I agree. It, it's, you know, I'm asking you like, well, should we be playing against two or one? You're like, I don't know. I was like, well, what does it say in the rules? You're like, it doesn't say in the rules. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it why doesn't say anything in the rules? You're supposed to play it. <laughs> Yes, like, uh, it is what I'm it like, is. What do the rules tell you? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was a little disappointed by that as well. But we'll, again, we'll get into that in final thoughts for me. So my number three is one thing I do like about this as far as co-op goes is the race for victory points. And this is the way the game is played in general. You are racing for victory points. The first one to 30 victory points wins in a competitive game. The way it works in co-op, and I actually think this is really neat, is because you have an advantage, right? You can work together, you can team up, you can do things. You're not going to attack each other, so you're going to be stronger than you normally would. So the way they counterbalance for that, though, is that you all have to reach 30 victory points before the AI does. And they do things to push the AI closer and closer to 30 points, so it's not like you can take forever And if one person races way out ahead, well, guess what? You've got to catch the other person up. So you've got to do a little balancing to make sure that, oh, wait, I've just gotten all these victory points. We better let the other person get some victory points now, or I'm going to get to 30 and you're going to be at 10 and we're going to lose anyway because the AI is going to go to the end. So I will say, I don't know that it's satisfying to race to 30 victory points as a co-op victory condition. But I do like the fact that they did some balancing for you getting advantages and the fact that all of you have to get to 30 victory points. That part of it felt good, but it's still not great to have a victory point condition as a as what the victory goal for the game is, because I don't even know what that means in terms of gameplay. That's where the theme's a little bit disconnected for me. Yes, I understand you've achieved your goals, but it, that part doesn't always feel satisfying. But on the pro... I love that you have to both reach there and it leads to some interesting tactical decisions throughout the game. Yeah, and we'll get more into the whole victory point like scoring thing in the design discussion. But my number three is a pro and that's uh, specifically focused on the card deck that everyone is drawing from and using. So first of all, I like the cards themselves. Uh, They've got items you can construct to earn victory points. And again, every faction has a different way that they kind of build these cards and uh, construct these things. And, you know, the items are just victory points if you are playing without the Vagabond. But if you actually have a Vagabond, they become something that he can come and, like, trade you for and boost uh, his or her own power with. So that's uh, kind of fun. But the key thing here is that every single faction has a at least one action or some actions that require cards as a resource. And allow you to do things that are more powerful or special or do surprises and things using the cards in addition to kind of their communal use of like cool abilities and upgrades and things. And if you listen to the episodes that we've done, and if you've listened to the podcast a lot, you know I love resource management and this is one of the key resource management parts of the game, uh, kind of using these hands, finding ways to draw more cards and uh, yeah, just doing clever things with them. So I really appreciate that. And they actually came up with a new replacement deck that you can use instead of the original deck in the most recent expansion. I haven't tried it yet, but just the fact that, like, kind of the cards will be changed up and I'll see new tricks in there is uh, pretty exciting to me. So the card resources, pro for me. I like uh, resource management in general in just about any game. 
Well, I'll talk about that in a minute when I get to it. Oh, wait, I just did. My number two, the cards in the game. (laughs) And yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said. They are multi-use cards. You can use them to build these items, or you can use them for something special for your faction, as Mike said. So I'll get into a little bit of detail. The birds, the airy, they have four different spots on their board, and the cards are typically affiliated with one of the spaces on the board or actually each of them are what three or four spaces on the board for each type of clearing yeah so there's three or four of each type of clearing and so for the birds they put them in either move which means you have to move from that type of clearing fight means you have to fight in that type of clearing build you have to build in that type of clearing or recruit meaning you have to recruit new troops in that type of clearing so For the birds, they use the cards in that way. And then there's always a wild card as well, which is a bird. A bird symbol on the card itself. So that's kind of a wild card and can be done in any clearing. Whereas the cats, they use them to, like, save their people. So if you have a fight in this type of a clearing, you discard one card of that type of clearing to rescue your guys and bring them back to your base. So that's what we're talking about as far as asymmetric card use here. And different factions use them completely differently. So it's neat that each faction uses them in a different way, but also how the cards can be used in different ways, either to do that special thing for your faction or as a way to build items which give you either victory points or some cool bonuses in the game. I like the resource management aspect of that and the multi-use card aspect of it, and so I think it's really well done, as Mike said. So that's my number two, the cards, and I'm sure you agree with me because that was on your list number three. Yep, you got it. So my number two is back to the AI and the co-op, and this is a mix for me. I'm talking here about the AI and how they run and kind of the, uh, you know, the fiddliness and positives of running them. So on the good side, I think, again, the fan designer, I forget who it was. I think he did an amazing, amazing job of really making these factions function like they do to an extent in the competitive play and keeping the majority of their special abilities in there in some way. It's, it's really a great amount of design for such an asymmetric game to really like be able to put these factions down, at least the four core ones. And the thing is, uh, he's done work, and I've played with bots for many of the expansion factions that just aren't like officially released yet and officially vetted by uh, Leader Games and Cole. But yeah, he, he did a really great job. And they generally play pretty smoothly. Now, when you have, like, two or three of them, especially when you're in, like, a big solo game like I play sometimes, it can be a little bit annoying. And, like, each of their actions will have several kind of tiebreakers for where they want to go and where they want to do their actions. So I've gotten pretty quick with it now, and I've memorized a lot of it. But certainly it is a barrier to learning, and it's a tough one, because I'm not sure if that's, like, the best way to learn the game. It's probably better to play competitive first and then add on the AI. Which is funny, you don't hear that very often. Yes, exactly. Usually it's easier to learn the solo first, absolutely. But here you kind of have to like understand every faction, which is not necessarily the case in competitive. You can kind of just let them do their thing and you figure out yours. Sure. Now let me ask you a question about the AI, because I never ran it myself. Do they use the cards at all? No, no, they, they don't. Like anytime they would take a card from you, they get a victory point. Anytime you would take a card from them, you just draw a card from the deck now, they do, generally speaking, all of them flip up a card at the beginning of their turn, 
and that will impact their turn in some way. Oh, that's good. And this is where my biggest negative side of the AI comes in. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the thing that bothers me is how swingy they can be. Now, this is kind of a positive in some ways because it does make it more dynamic and exciting, I guess, to play the game. But pretty much all of them have the mechanic that if they draw a bird card, which is a fourth of the deck, and as Peter said, are the wilds, if they draw a bird card, then they take a much more powerful turn in some way. And that's fine, because it kind of models the real game. Generally, if you get bird cards, they're better in some ways, so you get a little bonus for it. It makes sense. But the thing is, uh, sometimes, and this has happened to me in games, if they just keep on drawing bird cards, especially some of the factions that really get a boost from it, They'll just, like, railroad you in a way that uh, is impossible for any real player to do. They're doing so much more than any player could ever accomplish. And it just uh, can sometimes feel a little bit frustrating if you get that kind of swingy momentum going against you. It's a double whammy, too. Because they're drawing bird cards, that means you're not drawing them. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. And then on the other side of things, I've definitely had games where they just keep on drawing the wrong card and they just aren't moving their armies. So that's not great. And one final note, uh, there have already been found errata in, like, the official stuff that I bought. And <laughs> the most frustrating thing is that when I talked to the uh, designer of the Better Bot project, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, just, just use the old rules. And I'm like, oh, so instead of using the, like, nice things I paid for, I should use the stuff that I print and played that I already have. <laughs> now, it's only uh, a major effect on the Airy. If you use the, like, currently officially printed Airy, they basically don't work. They'll often just sit there doing nothing for long periods of time. It's not a hard fix, and I've already kind of adjusted in my brain what I'm supposed to do with them, but it is just kind of another minor annoyance kind of added on to how the AI runs. So they fix the AI to make it worse. Yes. Well, they the thing is that, as he described it, uh, Leader Games found the AI tough for them, like too tough. So they wanted to make it easy and then like use the difficulty cards to make it harder. So they made every faction pretty much a little bit easier and in so doing, some things got missed and some things got messed up, specifically with the Airy. Gotcha. All right. Well, on to my number one. And I don't think this is going to be any shock for anybody who's ever heard of leader games. It is their asymmetry. And that's what they do better than anybody else. And I think, you know, Mike was talking about this earlier. And I really think this is what makes this game stand above vast for me is that the asymmetry is not everywhere. Meaning combat is still done the same way for every faction. Every faction is still trying to recruit stuff. Every tr faction is still trying to put buildings on the board. When you destroy one of those buildings on the board, every faction still gets a victory point. So there are some consistencies between the factions. And the other thing I like about it is, as Mike said, the graphic design is so good on the player boards that if I literally just read it down what I'm supposed to do, okay, step A, I do this. Step B, I do this. Step C, I do this. If I just read that down, I can make strategic decisions within each of those points, but it's very clearly laid out how I'm supposed to do things and what order I'm supposed to do things. And so it makes it a lot easier to learn while every faction still feels very, very different. So I think the asymmetry in this is done better than any game I've ever played and in a more satisfying way than any game I've ever played. So for me, number one has got to be the asymmetry in Root. Yeah, I, that's mine too. <laughs> no surprise there. And I also love it. I think this is uh, one of the best examples. I don't know if I would say the best. Like if I include Spirit Island in here, that might be fighting Root for it. But in any case, it is really amazing how different they feel while keeping so many mechanics consistent. 
Like, you know, all of them might have different ways to march, but march means the same thing for all of them. All of them might have different ways to initiate a battle, but battling works the same way for all of them. They all have the same card deck. So it's really a triumph. And I'll just add that, like a lot of these kind of games, like Sentinels of the Multiverse, Spirit Island, whatever, I just want to keep playing and trying different factions out and trying different factions against other factions. So it really increases uh, kind of the exploration fun of the game and also the replayability for me. The only slight negative with the faction variety is that, again, only uh, the core four factions are officially supported by the official bots for solo and co-op play. If you don't mind printing out the print and play like I have, you can get more of them, and I'm sure they're continuing to test the newest ones that came out. But also, uh, some of the newer factions have like mechanics that aren't really supported by the bots yet. Like uh, the Corvids, I think they are, the Crows that just came out. They have these traps, but the bots don't really care about them or pay attention to them. And uh, the Wood, or not the Woodland, the Beavers from the first expansion, they uh, like are all about making deals and having people pay them for stuff. And if you play the PNP, they have ways to model that. But if you just try to use them with the bots, it won't work. So you are limited in the official bots in like which factions you can actually bring to the table with them, which is not a terrible thing. But it's just uh, a little bit frustrating that the factions are so amazing and we got to keep on waiting until like the full solo and co-op experience is opened up to us. It almost feels like an app. Uh, you know, Peter, how, like, for a lot of board game-based apps, you'll, like, own the, uh, physical expansion, but you can't play it yet because they haven't implemented it yet in the app? Well, I'm still waiting for all the Summoner Wars factions to come out, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, maybe with the, uh, new restructuring of Plaid Hat, maybe they'll have time to focus on that. Right? Yeah, no, the game came out, what, probably five or six years ago at this point, and, uh, one of my favorite games of all time. I still don't have all the factions, so yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, so I'll go right into my final thoughts from that. So I'm going to kind of split this in two uh, parts. Uh, In terms of just the game overall, Root is one of my favorite games of recent years. Definitely in my top 10 for sure at the moment. I find it obsessively fun. Every time I play it, I got to play two or three times. And those are mostly solo games. So I will say, despite like the hiccups and the things that I was a little bit annoyed by, I find Solo Root to be super, super fun. But yeah, I think the design here is gorgeous. Uh, I own, I think, every piece of content for it now. I I got a lot of stuff in the last Kickstarter. I I went in for, like, neoprene mats and stuff. I love this game competitive. I love it uh, solo. And I'll say that uh, playing with Peter, I loved it cooperative, too. It's got some wrinkles. Uh, I still have to play more to, like, get a real good feel for what difficulty settings I should be using. But I think it is a lot of fun. So this is a top, top tier game for me. I adore it, and I recommend it strongly to anybody. Uh, the Solo and Co-op does have some problems with it, so, you know, uh, you can go watch my playthrough that's on the YouTube channel. It is uh, based on the print-and-play rules, but so little change, you can still get a very good feel for how it uh, is to kind of run those bots and everything. So if that doesn't scare you off, I fully recommend doing the Solo and Co-op play. You can print it out for free based on the Better Bot Project, but uh, this is an awesome game, and one of my top ones, huge recommend from me. How about you, Peter? Yeah, I like Root a lot. It's not one of my top games of all time. It's not one of my top games of the past couple years, but it's a great game. I mean, it's one of those things where I see the genius in the design. Is it the kind of game I want to play all the time? No, but I've had fun every time I played it. And if people ask me to play it, I'm not going to turn down a game of it. So while it's not one of my top games as far as like games I would pull out and recommend and like champion for, it is a game I would play every time. And it is a game I've had fun playing every time. I agree with Mike, though. If you're anything like me, and, you know, we go back and forth as far as Mike doesn't mind fiddliness and all this in games and it drives me crazy, 
this didn't drive me crazy to play, but I'm sure I would never want to run this game as far as AI goes. I don't know how complicated it is, but it would drive me crazy that the difficulty levels aren't figured out for you, that you kind of have to play around and like figure it out yourself. And it didn't bother me that much when we were doing it, but I think it's because you had played it so many times and it ran so smoothly when I was playing it that I didn't notice. And we played it several times co-op and we're like, oh, that was too easy. Let's make it harder next time. But I mean, there are lots of co-op games that that's the case for. So I guess that shouldn't bother me as much, but it's just weird to me that I was like, well, should we play with two or one? And, and like, there was no answer. So that kind of thing bothers me. And if it bothers you too, it might not be a co-op experience for you, but it's worth playing. I would say everybody in our listening audience should play this game at least once. Competitively is the way it was designed. Sure, you could play it solo or co-op if you don't have people to play it with. But if you're at a con, try to find a game of it and get in. And I think you'll enjoy yourself. All right, so there we go. Root, uh, definitely a recommend from both of us, at least to try it out. And now we're going to get into our design discussion, which uh, kind of going back to one of Peter's points, is about the idea of scoring in games and trying to build up victory points to reach some kind of uh, winning score. We're going to talk about uh, how this might be implemented and has been implemented in co-op games, but we'll probably uh, bridge a bit into competitive as well because this is such a kind of competitive realm. Or is it? I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll get into that. So, uh, Peter, you want to start us off? What are some of your thoughts on kind of scoring systems in general? Yeah, so the scoring systems that I can think of are things like Codenames Duet, things like Just One, some of these party, more party-type games where it's like, okay, we've got 13 cards, let's see how many we can get. Or even things like Time Stories gives you a score at the end. Even though it doesn't feel like it would be a score-type game, it definitely gives you a score at the end. Or some of these escape room games, they're not victory or loss based on score. Uh, Well, maybe they are. Because, I mean, you're going to get through them eventually if you play them long enough. So I guess they are victory or loss. But I never pay attention to the score at the end of a lot of these games. And so for me, even when score is a factor in a game, especially those party-type games or those escape room games, I don't really pay attention to the score at the end. Yeah, and I'll agree with that. And this is a different kind of form of scoring than I want to spend most of the time talking about. Just kind of like this tacked on, hey, by the way, three stars. (laughs) Right, 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 right. But uh, what I will say is that I find those scoring systems basically completely useless for things that are not replayable. The idea that like a game of Unlock, they're like, hey, you got three stars. It's like, okay, I'm not going to like try again to get five stars because clearly I would because I know all the answers now. But for things that are replayable games and you can kind of gauge how well you did, I don't mind them. They don't add a lot to the experience and I don't feel like I have won or lost. But, uh, you know, one I've been playing with my son recently that we're going to have on the YouTube channel soon, Aquacorn Cove, that has scoring that's pretty cool because it actually like has a narrative that goes with it. It's like, hey, here's how you did. Here's how your village is faring. Uh, cities, uh, skylines had scoring that kind of said like how your city turned out. So I I guess if they add like a little narrative, like add a paragraph, it's like, hey, by the way, here's what the score means. That's a little better. (laughs) But in the end, you know, it's still, I don't know. It's it's not something that I really care much about. Like Peter said, I don't really pay much attention to it. The only time I do is when it's like, hey, you know, here's your score. Try to beat it next time. And a few games I've actually like taken the time to write down my scores. I remember for uh, Friday, the solo only game from Freeman Freeze. That one, I like actually kept track of my scores because it informed my choice of when I would up the difficulty and try the next harder mode of the game. But that's a pretty rare event. Usually I don't care about scores at all. Yeah, it seems to me like 
this is a much more useful tool in solo games. Because part of the problem with co-op games and keeping score is, yes, you can try for higher scores. And actually, one of my favorite games of all time, The Mind, uses a score. It's like, what? I mean, it's kind of a score, right? It's like, what level did we get to? Because we're probably not going to beat the game the first time we played. But it at least is a way to track your progress. So in that one, I don't mind it. But it's not like I say, oh, I got to level 12. Well, actually, I guess I have said that before, so never mind. So I guess it does matter to me in the mind a little bit more. But the thing I think is the best about it in the mind is it's a way to prove to new players that they are getting better at the game and they are doing better as they go along. So like the first time we play the mind with a new group, usually we'll get to like level two, three, four, somewhere in there. And the next time we'll get to level five or six, and then we'll get to like seven or eight. So you're seeing progress. And I think that is encouraging for people. So I think score can be used in a way, especially in a quick game as a way to encourage people that they are doing better. And I mean, you even heard about it on the app for Gonshan Clever, the roll and write game. They had a, a free app for it. I think, or maybe it was a paid app. I don't know. But people were like, oh, this is my score. This is my score. And they were posting their scores and they were showing how their scores were getting better and better. So I think that's one of the neat parts about scores is it's a way to prove that you are, to yourself at least, that you are progressing and getting better at a game. Now, I would dispute you. I don't think the mind is a score. I think that's more like a progress or level kind of a thing. But hey, Peter, your top, top game of last year has a score system that does match everything you just said. Yeah, and I don't care about the score at all on that. <laughs> yeah, because the mind is very different. Like, you're actually progressing to a certain thing. But I will say, no, I, I, I agree with everything you just said for just one, and also for, like, Codenamed has the same kind of thing. In a party setting with a party game, I will be, like, with my casual friends, hey, we got this score. Uh, here's what it says about it. Look at that. We, we, we sucked, <laughs> you know, or right. we did really well. So I, I think that's fine. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. These aren't that interesting. So I think let's get into what I think is the more kind of interesting side of this discussion. And that's uh, like victory points and where the score is what triggers the end game instead of like just getting a score when like after you finish as kind of an add on. So, you know, root co-op or solo or competitive fits into this where you need 30 victory points to win and you're getting victory points. So what do you think about the entire idea? You kind of talked about this a bit with Root, but do you find that kind of anticlimactic? Because I know that I often do. I would like it to lead to something. I think the big problem you and I have with this, and this is not going to be for everybody, right? It goes back to the age-old board game discussion, Euro games versus Ameritrash games, right? Euro games are known for having score tracks. What's the goal of the game? Ha ha, to get the most victory points at the end of the game. I mean, does this mean that Almost no co-op games are Euro games. I mean, that's clearly not true because you look at games even like Pandemic, which I wouldn't call that a Euro game, but like one of the earliest ones, and there's no victory points in that. It's an interesting discussion because I don't think anybody's done it right. Similar to our discussion last week with Asymmetry, you know, I don't know that anybody's done it right in co-op yet. And so I think it's a very interesting thing, and I don't know why, because people love Euro games. People love Victory Point, like, hey, let's see who can get the most points. Let's prove how good I'm doing. There is a benefit to score, you know, to see if you can improve your score. And especially in a co-op format, you would think we'd want that, right? Like, oh, the best I've ever done is get to, you know, 200 or whatever. You'd think as a group we'd want to see if we can improve that. 
So I, I don't know why we haven't done a good job in the co-op community of, of having victory points and, and kind of coming up with a score at the end of our game. I mean, first of all, I think Root does it fine. And like you said, kind of the, the necessity of everyone reaching their scores separately leads to some fun cooperation and kind of uh, working together and trying not to have one person jump ahead too much. I think that's sort of a fun way to do it. But another example I'll bring up, and this is from a game uh, that is solo or competitive, but I think the lesson it has, I, I thought it uh, has some interesting kind of uh, implications for this topic. Uh, this is Mutants, the Lucky Duck game that I covered uh, a week or two ago. So it's kind of like a half deck builder, half constructed game. When you play solo, you're playing against a boss. And here's the thing. Basically, every element in the game is identical to the competitive game wherein you are fighting over victory points. And if you, like, win the round, there's five rounds. If you have the highest power at the end of the round, you get some victory points. And then if you're, like, really crushing everyone and your victory point tracker or your power tracker is way ahead, you can also earn victory points. And you earn victory points by uh, culling cards from your deck. Like, there's lots of ways to earn victory points. And you see who has the highest score at the end. So what they do for the solo, and it's a minor change. It's really, in a way, just a thematic change, but it feels great, at least in this game. What they do is they have a boss that is doing stuff to you and actively working against you, and he has a life track, and every victory point you earn does one damage to him. It's literally the exact same thing. It's literally still victory points. Like, it's the exact same victory point game, but just that little switch of, like... Uh, tracking down his tracker instead of building up victory points to compete with others uh, for me was enough to make it feel like a more thematic and more fulfilling experience. And I don't know if that's because of the boss or because of like the change of perspective on the victory points. Maybe it's the boss and it's not really fixing the issue. But yeah, that that's one that I think just kind of did something different than I had seen before. I mean, it's not a Euro game at all, but certainly the scoring mechanic could be seen as kind of a Euro-ish thing. And it made it totally work for a thematic experience. Yeah, that's really interesting because I had never thought of that before because, you know, we had the opposite experience when it came to Thunderstone, right? They did not do anything with those victory points and cards were balanced based on victory points. And so you have this useless thing in the game, whereas Mutants did the exact opposite. They, they made that the core mechanism of it. And so, yeah, I like that a lot better. I hadn't played Mutant Chronicles. Is that what it is? No, it's just Mutants. Mutant Chronicles is a totally different thing. All right. Well, I hadn't played Mutants. I played it competitively with you, and I enjoyed it that way, but I hadn't tried it cooperatively. Do they have co-op in that or just solo? I've thought about a co-op variant where you basically just all go against the boss and he has more life. Uh, There's a few wrinkles that wouldn't really make it work, but no, officially it's just solo. All right. Well, that's one I do recommend then, since we'll probably never cover it on the podcast unless they do come up with a co-op variant. I really liked Mutants a lot. So Lucky Duck's... uh, 2-0 2-0 for me, because they were great with Chronicles of Crime, which, by the way, is on Kickstarter now. And I like this one, too, Mutants. So, no, no, actually, they're 2-1 they're for you. Now, I forget if they actually, I don't think they designed Mutants. I think they just distributed in the U.S., but they also distributed in the U.S. It's a Wonderful World, and oh, yeah. uh, we know how you like that game. Yeah, I didn't like that one at all. So, <laughs> you're, you're right. They're 2-1 they're, uh, they're for me. But everybody else seems to like it. It got a lot of buzz, but nobody's talking about it anymore. Oh, I, I like it. You're, you're definitely the odd man out for that one. Yeah, yeah, but it's been like three weeks, and so nobody's talking about that anymore. <laughs> now, another one that uh, works pretty well, and we actually haven't played this co-op yet. I played it solo and competitive, is uh, from Mind Clash game Cerebria. And that one, it's, it's really a team-based game to earn victory points by placing these like kind of structures of the mind in the center. But 
you know, if you play co-op on the team with somebody else, then you're still putting those same things down. You're still like doing the exact same victory point gaining. But I do think that one does it in a nice way because it's a more tangible, more kind of mechanically interesting scoring than maybe some of the other things we might talk about. And what I mean by that is you like have these actual pieces you're putting in the middle. You're basically building a tower out of uh, things of your color and of the enemy color. And you can kind of see like who's doing well and like how that's kind of going. It's almost like area control mixed with victory points. Huh. So I don't know, just like kind of that really concrete... And it also only happens very infrequently. Like, you have these scoring rounds, and that's when you get a chance to score. And everything you're doing is trying to set up so that when that scoring round happens, bam, you're the one who's in there getting your points. So it feels more like a clash, like more of a thematic fight, I guess. And that combined with kind of a tactile element makes it a more exciting cooperative uh, scoring experience, I think, than most of the ones you might see. So, yeah, that's just another one that kind of stood out to me as successful scoring implemented in a co-op realm. You know, something you mentioned to me earlier when we were talking about doing this topic that I've only seen in competitive games is hidden scoring. Yeah. And typically you do hidden scoring because you want it to be a surprise till the end, right? You don't want somebody to realize they're down 100 victory points and get discouraged in the game. But I think it could be used in a really interesting way in a cooperative game. Because think about Root itself that we were playing earlier what if we didn't know who was ahead on victory points and we kind of had to figure it out or suss it out in our own mind and maybe we pushed somebody who wasn't really already ahead and so i think it would make it a lot more interesting i don't know how you do it right but i think it would make it a lot more interesting in the long run if there was some way to do hidden victory points in these games and then try to like push each other almost in the, the mind way and almost in a get rid of alpha gamering way by making the scoring hidden. Because I was thinking about this too after we kind of mentioned that. What I think would be a cool way to do it, I'm imagining what we did in Salvation Road or what uh, Fantasy Flight did in the Arkham Horror Final Hour game where you basically decide as a group when to call for the ending to happen in Salvation Road, it's when you get in your truck and drive to Salvation. And in Arkham Horror Final Hour, it's when you say that you think you can uh, like seal the gate. And then you reveal where things are. So I'm thinking if it was like victory points, you know, if you have to say that you're ready to end the game, and once you make that choice, you can't go back on it. But then you reveal who actually reached their victory point goals. And hey, be cool. Maybe even like those victory points change because like they're based on the board state. That would be kind of a fun thing to look into because, of course, you want to wait as long as possible to make sure that everyone's ready. But, you know, if you make the game tense enough and time pressured enough, then you can't wait forever and uh, you might call it before things are like really ready. So I think something like that could be fun to play around with. So kind of a, a limited communication game uh, mixed with this idea of like reaching your threshold or victory point need. Well, to me, you couldn't even have a threshold in a game like that. Because if you did, then we'd go, well, I'm not ready to go, you know, when, when you don't have your victory point threshold. So it's got to be a hidden goal you're going for. Well, no, that, that's the thing. You would need to limit communication to the point. And I know Steve wouldn't like this because <laughs> he doesn't like these kind of things generally. You would need to limit communication to the point where you can't even indicate when you're ready or not. And like when mechanically the ending is called for by somebody, that's it. You just go. Yeah, either that or you have a hidden victory point goal you're going for also like the enemies got their victory points that they're getting and you're not tracking it publicly as well so it's like no i think we're doing pretty well right now maybe it's time to go 
no, I, I think we need a couple more turns and maybe you beat him five turns ago. But I think it would have to be something like that where you don't even know the threshold that you're shooting for. But either way, I think it can be done. And I think it would be interesting. And I think the thing we're missing from Victory Point games and the reason it doesn't work as well cooperatively is because it's not interesting to hit a victory point total where it is interesting to kill a boss. And like, did I get that final push at the end? I don't think anyone's got the tension right on victory points to like get that push at the end. And I think just that tweak of keeping it secret might be enough to make it more interesting. Well, and that's where I, again, I'm really happy with what mutants did because I think of uh, some other games that are scoring games normally. And then for co-op kind of took away the scoring and not in an unsuccessful way, but it's just like they felt like the scoring couldn't work anymore. Uh, an example is the co-op scenario for Orleans. So instead of like victory points and building up a victory point engine, you're still building your engine, but you're getting your engine so that you can like place these things on these spots to cover them up and fulfill the need to like defeat the enemies. And I personally find that more satisfying, like finally uh, beating the invasion before they completely overwhelm you instead of like just reaching a victory point threshold. So, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm arguing against victory points again, but it's like they eschewed the natural victory point stuff that was part of the game and morphed it into more of a boss battle or more of like a traditional kind of co-op, you know, meet the goal, uh, reach the victory condition, that kind of thing. Let me pose another way of, of doing scoring and victory points to you. And this isn't kind of in the purview of what we're... This is more scoring than victory points. I mean, our discussion's mostly about victory points. But what if you had a scoring system at the end of co-op games to help you determine difficulty level and how to change the difficulty level? We kind of talked about this a little bit. But for example, let's say you lose. But you lose with like the enemy having five health left. It'd be very different than losing when the enemy has 20 health left. And so maybe you'd get a score for that at the end. Or you beat the enemy and you had like, you know, a certain amount of cards in your deck or something like that. And it would kind of give you an idea of how badly you beat the enemy. And it's like, you are amazing. I wonder if something like that would work where it's not necessarily victory points and you're racing for a goal, but almost a score. This is how well you did at the end. And hey, because you did that, now we recommend you challenge yourself by doing this. Well, I think they have that in a way, although you might not call this scoring, in uh, the games that are campaign games, but you go on regardless of whether you won or lost a scenario. Look at Arkham Horror LCG. You can kind of consider the experience to be a score. It's certainly a reflection of how well you destroyed that scenario or didn't. And it like directly contributes to your guys becoming more powerful as you go on to the next scenario. Uh, spare parts, our design. You could say that there's sort of a score in that one. You know, like how many of these, uh, you know, civilians did you save? How uh, badly did you defeat the boss? But that score has a direct mechanical representation in how you uh, continue on into the campaign and like what kind of you know victory you reach or what ending you get. So, yeah, I think that's sort of happening, but you have to slightly bend what you're defining as score and points there because it's a bit more mechanically driven. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what you do with score. Maybe you make score a mechanical object within the game and not just an abstract victory point. And maybe that's one of the keys to making it more satisfying for a more thematic kind of co-op based game. All right. Now, we're definitely coming at this from more thematic gamers but there are many, many, many Euro games out there that are very, very popular, and they just go based on score. 
So what are the challenges and why haven't we done this in the co-op world where we are shooting for a victory point score or seeing if we are smarter than the AI and shooting for victory points? I think solo community does this better than the co-op community. Yeah. But there aren't very many co-op games where it's just a thing about getting a score. Well, I, I think one of the main ideas with scores and competitive games, especially where it's a revealed thing, is the idea of, like, ganging up on the leader or knowing who's in front and trying to slow them down. I think that's a key kind of aspect of this. And the second you have a co-op... Now, Root kind of gives you that in a different way in that you're trying to keep pace with each other in your victory points. But generally speaking, when you go to co-op, that disappears because you've got an either-or thing. You've got one versus one. You've got the enemy score and you've got your score. And, you know, in a way you could say kind of going back to mutants, but even taking it out to other things, you could say that like in something like Street Masters or Sentinels of the Multiverse, you know, the enemy's progress in defeating you is their score, and your progress in defeating them is your score, and you have to reach your victory point threshold, their hit point total, before they reach their victory point threshold, uh, depleting all of your vict- uh, hit, uh, you know, hit points. You could say that like Marvel Champions. Now, that's certainly you know, really pushing the idea of, like, what a score is. And, of course, the Euro games you're talking about tend to have, like, kind of an infinite score potential. Like, I could get 100 and you could get 20. But I think that's kind of the closest analogy. But, yeah, I mean, competitive scoring is set up for the idea of there is a leader. You will knock that leader down. Well, I I guess here's where I'll throw it back to you. One of the best types of games that I think competitive scoring has is the engine builder where you set up things and you put together crazy stuff and you get more and more engine. And again, I would say you have analogous things in cooperative games, even the more thematic realm, like when you build up your engine in a LCG or in uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse or something. But can you think of like an engine builder that's cooperative? How about Scythe? Oh, Scythe. But what Scythe does is I think you either average your score at the end between the players or you take the lower score... I guess lower would be more like root and average would be a little bit different. So you're all pursuing your own score, but then you have to all do well enough so that the average beats the enemy. But I don't know. Is is that satisfying? I don't know if it is. Well, and I think that's the bottom line. The, The one thing, and we've said this to people, you know, because a lot of people have come up to us now because we're in a lot of unpub situations. We're at a lot of conventions and people know we do cooperative stuff. So we get to see a lot of these cooperative games before they've been pitched to publishers. And one thing we consistently see that people get wrong, and we've been there and we do it a lot ourselves, or we've done it a lot in our past ourselves, is not making the end exciting. I think that's such a key thing for cooperative games. They have to end with a bang. You know, we always talk about Forbidden Island because the tension ratchets up and up and up until you finally get out of there at the end. And even till the very last turn, there's always a chance you can lose in that game. You want that rising tension as the game goes on. And so we often encourage people to put a boss battle at the end or something at the end of the game to create excitement or some kind of a crescendo building up to something. And I think the problem with victory points and scores is you play and play and play and do your best, and then at the end, everybody kind of counts things up and sees how well they did. And so I think that might be the problem is that you don't have this crescendo moment at the end of the game like this. We built all the way up to get to here. Now let's see how well it did. And so that might be part of the problem with, you know, scoring systems as far as cooperative goes. Yeah, and I guess theoretically you could have that tension in a way. 
Like, if all of us in route are at 28 victory points and we're seeing, like, who's going to get there first. But I think one thing with victory point games, especially if you have to reach a certain threshold, it's different than, like, a game where you just see how high your score can get. Usually the potentiality, like, the the battle lines of your generation of victory points is pretty clear. Like, in Root, it's pretty clear that a faction is earning about this many victory points each round. And yes, it might fluctuate. Yes, they might get a, a major setback. But, like, you know, okay, the cat is earning about three victory points around. So it's not even, like, really a surprise when they finish up. You just want to kind of, like, make your pace exceed theirs, I guess. Yeah, no, that's true. But that's why I keep going back to this. So let, let's wrap this up here because we're we're getting to the end of uh, where we usually like to end an episode. And one thing I'll say as a final thought or point for designers is I think scoring can work, but it's got to be hidden. That that's that's the conclusion I've come to from this discussion. I think you know you can build up to this crescendo, and I don't just mean our scores because again I think that would help with alpha player is having our scores hidden because nobody's directing anybody else because they don't know how that person's doing. But also the enemy AI score, I think that you want hidden so you can have some giant reveal at the end. I got a three, they got a three. Oh no! Like all right, I drew. All right, I flipped five. I got five more points. So I think something like that at the end of the game where you have this end reveal and maybe it could be something exciting at the end. Maybe it is something you could build up to almost like a dark dealing situation, right? In the co-op there, you do all this work to build up your hand and the hand of enemies. And then at the end, you play it out to kind of see what's going on. And I guess games like Salvation Road did that. Games like Final Hour did that as well. So maybe that is the end. You know, those weren't victory point games, but I think that's how it could work. I think you're right in that front. Well, you know, I do want to throw in one more game. I just remembered this, and I know we're, we're trying to wrap it up. So I played at PAX U, a game that's uh, being developed by North Star Games. It was called uh, Painting the Roses or Painting the Roses Red. It was a Alice in Wonderland kind of theme. So similar to kind of uh, some things you said just reminded me of this. Each player had a hidden goal card in their hand. And it's basically like a diagram of how they want a set of uh, roses of different colors to be laid out on the board. Because it's basically a tile layer. It's putting down roses of different, different colors on like these hexes or squares and trying to form these shapes. So the key idea was without communicating, you had to play in such a way that you would indicate what your card's rule was or indicate what the players should be doing. And whenever, uh, like, you would get that together, like, the other players would kind of get a sense of what you were going for, you would score that card and you'd get a new one. So that already kind of goes with what you're saying, and I think it's a cool way to do it. Like, if you have uh, scoring goals, but they are not entirely shared and the communication is limited, so you got to figure out how to score them. But they also had another thing that was cool, uh, kind of like Mutants, a variation on scoring that uh, makes it more thematic and fun. So they had a score track, right? just like most Euro games. And each time you scored a card, you'd move yourself along that track a certain amount. But <laughs> here's the fun part. The enemy, like the uh, the Queen of Hearts, who was chasing you, she was chasing you around the score track. So she started behind you and she would move a certain number every round. So you're still moving around a score track. You are scoring cards, very Euro in a lot of ways. But instead of the enemy trying to like beat your score in a more traditional sense where you both start at zero... 
She starts way back, and if she ever reaches you, you die immediately. You get your heads chopped off. Oh, so she catches you. That would be very interesting. She tries to catch you. So, again, it's like it's sort of like mutants. Like, hey, it's kind of the same thing. You're earning victory points. You're earning a score. But it's a slight perspective shift to where suddenly... And, again, I, I guess I keep on coming to a thematic. You, you guys know that's what I like <laughs> most of the time. But, yeah, it's a slight perspective shift to suddenly make the exact same score mechanisms more thematic. So that one, if it ever comes out, I really like the theme of that one and like kind of the idea of it. It's like very Euro mechanics, tile laying, you know, how much more Euro can you get, but with hidden scoring cards and a chase mechanic in the score track. That that one was really cool. So I'd love to see more of either of those in co-op games. I think either of those could work really well. Yeah, no, I like that idea of a chase track. It's almost like a race. The victory point track is a race in and of itself. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's a good place to end. The other thing I'd say is I do like a scoring system at the end of things just to give you a sense of progress. If the game is replayable, why not have a way of figuring out how well you did and whether you're improving or not? So especially for short games like The Mind, I really do think that's one of my favorite parts about the game is showing progress in a short amount of time. So I think if it's something you can add that won't detract, even in games like Just One, having that scoring track, do I pay attention to it always? No. But it is kind of a fun thing just to have to see how you did at the end. As long as it doesn't take away from the game, I think it's worth having in there. All right, so we'll leave things there. So go try out Root, go play some games with scoring, and uh, we'll see you at the next stop. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Hey, everybody, this isn't quite the bloopers yet. Just wanted to say that during this episode, we totally spaced on a game with a score track, which is City Skylines, and we had just played it at PAX U. We've played it since then. We both enjoyed the game. I don't know why it didn't come to our mind when we were thinking about scoring systems, because that's basically what it is. But it has a unique scoring system, which we didn't talk about in this episode. But it's got a unique scoring system where at the end of every phase of a game, when you decide to move on, you score your happiness at that point in time. So you're looking to get certain happiness at certain times, and then you're going to score it several times throughout the course of the game, and all that happiness is going to add up and give you a huge happiness score at the end of the game. So you have kind of mini scorings throughout the game, and then you have a final happiness value, which is all those mini scorings added up together. So I think that's another unique and interesting way to do it. But at the end of that game, you're literally just trying to reach score thresholds and they'll score you at the end based on how you did. So there isn't as much winning or losing in that game from what I remember based on the score track, but you will win or lose the game anyway, and then you'll see where your score is to see how you fared. So I think that is another interesting way of doing it. And sorry, we forgot about it during the episode, but definitely didn't want to forget about it and wanted to make sure you guys knew that that one was another unique way of doing scoring as well test 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 looking good yo 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 my peoples man it's jason stuff don't be stealing
This is Jason. I'm on a hiatus at Every Night is Game Night, and now I've taken over Mike's position on Co-op Shop Podcast. What? <laughs> Are you going to remember the name of our own podcast one of these days? I mean, usually I don't, so uh, we'll see what happens. Nice. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the theme of the game. And Root is an asymmetric game where there are four different factions in the game. And each faction plays a little bit differently. And while they do have different ways of getting victory points in the game, the goal of the game is still to get to 40 victory. Why am I talking about that? I'm I don't know. Why, dude, theme. I'm like, why are you stealing my jam? <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I went off on a limb. At least we got some bloopers this week, though. It's been a while. Well, my thing... Hold on. All right. Well, I'm going to have a... What? Are you not recording? Yes. I'm going to have a moment. I started recording again, but I am going to have a moment where my... um, I mean, dude, don't tell me about your thing. I forgot to turn my sleep settings off, and my computer went to sleep. Thank God it was just now, and I noticed it go down. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we're good. We're good. I turned my sleep setting. Sleep timer off. Wow. Rookie mistake. So there's going to be like... 30 seconds there of just you and no me, but that's okay. I mean, that, that's what the people really come to hear anyway. That's true. That's very, very true. God, this is this is going to be a show of bloopers and no actual <laughs> The episode will be 10 minutes long and then 50 minutes of bloopers at the end. Absolutely. All right, so Peter, you want to tell us about the theme of Roots, if you can uh, get your act together? How about Scythe? Oh, Scythe. But see, Scythe is doing the same thing as Root. It's like your, and this is uh, the, again, semi-official co-op mode that was introduced in Rise of Fenris. You're basically, like, all trying to get, uh, well, no, 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 that's not what it is. You know, there is a way to do it. I'm glad you brought this up, because I forgot about this. What Scythe does that is different than Root, although it's, actually, you know, it's it's identical to Root. Never mind. (laughs) Hey, Mike. Yeah. I want to score our friendship 1 to 100. Wait, you're saying you want to score with me? That would be 100. 